1009, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I admit, I'm amused by this. Uh, I think we might have, we, we discussed this, I, it must have been Tuesday, maybe Monday, this change.org petition that was started by a Green Bay Packers fan, the guy's name is Andrew Dorf, to get Troy Aikman and Joe Buck banned from announcing Green Bay Packers games. And I think when we started talking about it, it had about 6,000 signatures. Now, 26,442 signatures. Now, here's the bottom line. This, like most of the stuff on change.org, it's not going to really do anything. Fox is not going to dump Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, but I think it opens up an interesting conversation. And it has been fascinating to me because as somebody who watches Packers games, well, in public places, I think there there is, again, this disconnect between sort of the chattering class, and by that I mean, I don't know, media types, who say, well, I, I can't understand why people are upset with this. I mean, it, these guys are wonderful. They do a great job. So there's the upset between what I will call in this case, again, the, the chattering class and the real world. Because like I say, seriously, whenever I am sitting in a cocktail lounge um, before a Packers game, and this, this happened dramatically last Sunday, and they, they do what they call the stand-up where they show the announcers that are there talking before the game. So I'm sitting in this bar. Bar is packed. They, they show Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, and it literally, if you are familiar with the movie Animal House, it, there's a scene where in Animal House, they're showing early on, they're showing the potential recruits, and they show a picture of the Kent Dorfman character, the Flounder character, and everybody starts throwing things. Oh, 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 oh. that's what happens in most every bar throughout Wisconsin before Packers games when they do this stand-up and they show Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. So again, I understand you've got the chattering class, you've got the sports folks who say, well, we don't understand. We think Joe Buck and we think Joe Buck and Troy Aikman do this tremendous job. And then you've got real people who I think, you know, maybe have some, some issues, especially with Aikman, who I, I think is just a cowboy shill and has been for a long time. Now, they're not, Fox isn't going to get rid of them. I mean, I, I recognize that. But I do think this, this petition is a fun way to vent. Now, I bring this up because it has gotten the attention of, of Troy Aikman. And he does this interview with the Dallas Morning News, of course. And it's amazing because he says, well, I, I yes, I'm aware of this pro, I'm aware of this, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't I just can't understand it. I I don't I have no idea why I mean I'm confused by this. I have no idea why Packers fans would would be upset about this. Well, all right, Troy, I get that you don't understand why Packers fans would be upset and Again, I, I know that you want to justify this type of stuff, but, you know, from the perspective of some of us Packers fans, we just think that you're a cowboy show. I, and, look, I, I get that there's bigger issues, and the way, once again, to enjoy Packers games, if you're a Packers fan, is figure out a way to sync up the TV broadcast with Wayne and Larry and, and listen to that broadcast of the game. Life will be a lot better. But it's uh, this change.org petition is clearly getting under their skin. Matter of fact, Aikman says, you know, Joe Buck, pays attention to these things, and he's upset by that, which my advice to Joe Buck would be, you know, catch the paycheck, lose the scruffy beard, don't worry about it. But nevertheless, it's apparently kind of getting their attention. So right now, 26,442 supporters have signed the petition. It was 6,000. We talked about it a couple days ago. But he does not understand why this is happening. All right, I call this segment Dealer's Choice. We do this this time every day on the show. It's a, a topic that actually... I think 
I find it to be perhaps the most interesting topic of the day, maybe the most to- talkable topic. And, and today, it, it's, it is a big deal. Over the last 48 hours, Congress has begun the process of repealing the Affordable Care Act, that is Obamacare. Now, let me just back into this for a second. Because the Senate requires 60 votes to proceed, the Senate cannot just go ahead and repeal Obamacare. 52, there's 52 Republicans, there's 48 Democrats. In other words, there is, the Democrats could filibuster on any effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. However, there is an exception to Senate rules, and they call this like budget reconciliation. You do not need a veto-proof majority. You don't need a filibuster-proof majority. You don't need 60 votes if they are budget issues. You only need 51. Like I say, there's 52 Republicans and then Vice President Mike Pence. And so what the senators have done, along with what Congress has done over the course of the last couple days, is they have laid the groundwork for the repeal, not of Obamacare per se, but essentially the defunding of this. By using these fiscal resolutions, you know, you can change all sorts of things which, you know, relate to the way the Affordable Care Act is is funded. You can say, all right, we, we can't repeal the um, requirement that everybody buy insurance, but we can say we're not going to fund any efforts to enforce that. So that that's the effect. And they are beginning that process. You know, it, it's not going to happen today. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be a process that plays out over the course of a couple months. But if the process does, in fact, play out, there is a reasonable chance that Obamacare, at least as we know it now, could be gone over the course of the next couple months. So now you have all these stories in the mainstream media about how disastrous this is going to be. It seems to me that every reporter that covers this issue is going out and trying to find somebody to interview who's gotten insurance under Obamacare, whose life would be destroyed if suddenly it went away. But this does raise what I think is the significant question, because it's happening. Now, how exactly it's going to happen, we don't know, but the train appears to be leaving the station. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Let's put this out there. Do we really want to dump Obamacare? This has been one of the huge issues that we have discussed on this program You know, since Obamacare was ram down people's throats with no conservative, no Republican support at all, not a single Republican vote. All right, now the Republicans are in control. Do we really want to dump Obamacare? What do you think? Why or why not? 414-799-1620 or 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1017, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, off their biggest road win of the year. The Bucks return home tonight to battle the Miami Heat. Ted Davis, Dennis Krause, and Justin Garcia will be courtside. Coverage begins with Buck shots at 640 this evening. Okay, we have now reached the point where the metal is meeting the meat. For years and years, conservatives have 
um, railed against the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. They haven't been able to do anything because you've either had Democrats that controlled Congress or when Republicans controlled Congress, you had a Democratic president who was having none of it. That dynamic is changing, and Republicans are starting the process to, if not repeal, defund most of the Affordable Care Act to gut it. Right? Do we really want them to do it? 414-799-1620. Kimberly on the north side. Kimberly, you're first. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Kimberly. I'm really glad you're bringing it up in this context because I think my feelings about it are multi-tiered and I can argue with myself about <laughs> it. I don't, I don't believe in all of the aspects of Obamacare, but I feel like the pre-existing conditions was a positive step forward covering pre-existing conditions. <laughs> And so, of course, I'm seeing all of these hair on fire posts on Facebook, and one of the things people are talking about are the pre-existing conditions and saying that they're going to take away the coverage on that. For people, a pre-existing condition being you have somebody who loses their insurance, but they've Mm -hmm. got some catastrophic, they've got cancer for whatever, they lose their insurance coverage, and so they can't get new insurance coverage. They're uninsurable because they've got cancer or whatever, that being that coverage, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Are they taking that away? Do you know? I feel like Senator Johnson said in the debate that they weren't going to touch that. I've tried to call his office a couple of times, and the mailbox is full, so I'm sure he's getting a million phone calls. So I'm just, do you know? If well, I mean, well, I, I think this is, I, I, right, I, I think when when you look at the, the previous health care system, I think mm-hmm. if you want to identify problems, the, the whole idea of pre-existing Coverage for pre-existing conditions is one of these things. I mean, because I think a lot of us, Kimberly, would say, hey, it's it's not fair. Um, you know, I, I've paid insurance for 25 years. I lose my job. And then uh-huh. all of a sudden, my, my wife or me, we're diagnosed with this horrible illness. We don't have insurance, and we can't get insurance. And that I think a lot of people recognize and agree that's unfair. Of course, the flip side and is, and you're, you're kind of in the situation now with Obamacare, what about somebody who's voluntarily made the decision for years and years, they don't want to pay for insurance coverage. I'm going right. to take my risk. Then all of a sudden, then they find out they've got this catastrophic disease, and then they sign up. Um, and there are those cases, though, if, the only, if it's only the people that are really, really sick that are signing up, the insurance system doesn't work. So that's the balancing problem you have. Right. Well, here's what I think. I think that the Republicans have done a poor job of communicating what they're doing in right. years past. And now we have all these chances to go through and fix things that are broken. I don't think you just dump everything. I think you find a good compromise, and I think they have to be really good at communicating what they're doing along the way, if for no other reason than to combat all of the false stories and hair-on-fire things that are going to be coming out. So I hope someone's listening, and I hope they do that. (laughs) Thanks to Call Kimball. And by the way, I agree with you. I I think the most difficult thing to deal with is this whole question of pre-existing coverage, because in the example I was giving, I think most people would say, no, this is fundamentally wrong. You've paid into insurance system for years and years, and suddenly you lose your job, you lose your insurance through your employer, you then end up with this catastrophic disease, and you're, you're stuck. I think most of us would agree that that's wrong. But can a system work if you can essentially say, I'm not, I'm just going to take my chances. I'm going to go without insurance until I get sick. And then I want to be guaranteed that I'm going to have the coverage. Because if it's only the, you know, people who are really, really sick that are going into the system, that the system, I mean, the, the, the payouts are going to end up being huge. You need a pool of healthy, able-bodied people. 
One of the most unpopular aspects of Obamacare, though, is the requirement that people have to pay for their insurance. Let's talk to Lloyd in Janesville. Lloyd, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, long-time listener. Thank you for calling, sir. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i 50 years old, and I've really never had health insurance uh, right after I got off my parents' insurance when mm-hmm. I got out of school. I just... I feel I can't afford the payments, and then when I go to the doctor, the deductibles are so high, right. I'm still paying out of pocket. And then when it comes to the end of the year, I have to pay that uh, fine. So you pay the, you're, you're taking a chance, you're going without insurance, and you're, you're paying, you, you pay that fine at the end of the year. Yeah, and it's gone up. Every, the last two years here, it's gone up. W- would I be correct in saying that you're, you're just kind of making the calculation that paying the fine... And paying for whatever medical costs you have out of pocket, you still come out ahead over what you would typically pay if you had the insurance by the time you paid the deductibles. Right. Yeah. It, it's actually cheaper for me in the long run to pay the fine, and and, and I'm still going to be paying out of pocket anyway if I did have the insurance because the deductible is so high; it doesn't even cover an office right. call. Right. Right. And now your hope, and of course, the the, the, the what you're betting is that your health care costs are kind of routine. You're, you're betting that you don't have that catastrophic situation, that the awful diagnosis, because yep. yeah, so you're, you're kind of, you're, you're sort of playing roulette in a way with that, huh? Yeah, I kind of am. So far, so good. I'm, right. I've had uh, good checkups. So. Right. so what would you like to, I mean, from your perspective, what would you like to see happen? I'd like to see affordable payments and have the deductible come down low. Right. And then... If, if you decide not to sign up for insurance, why should they penalize you to pay that fine at the end of the year? And I assume you make too much money to qualify for any, you know, real subsidies. Right. I'm single. I have no kids. Right. I don't qualify for Badger Care. Right. And so... <laughs> right. No, no, I get no... Th- you're, yeah. See, Lloyd, you're, I mean, you're, you're in that situation where if, if, you're, if you're low income... You know, you, you can get enough subsidies, so essentially it, it makes sense to do it because you're, you're not paying much, if anything, to get the insurance. Yes, you know, you end up, you know, having to pay the deductibles and things like that, but you're not paying the underlying insurance premiums. But there's a lot of people who are in your situation, Lloyd, where they make too much money to get the subsidies. But as a practical matter, again, taking the risk that they're not going to get some catastrophic diagnosis, they're out there figuring, well, by the time it's just easier to pay the penalties and pay for the office visits out of cost than it is to pay for the insurance and then pay these huge deductibles that I'm not going to reach. And again, the, the game, what you are hoping is you don't walk in one day, and I'm hoping this too, that you, know, you don't get a diagnosis saying, oh, you know, you've got something that's going to cost you half a million dollars or a million dollars in medical expenses. We continue the conversation. 1026, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, 414-799-1620 is our number. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We are going to continue this conversation, so if you're on the line, please hold on. Doug in Elm Grove. Doug, should we get rid of Obamacare? What do you think? Uh, I'm not happy with Obamacare the way it is now, but I'm really unhappy with the elected officials that the the two parties can't work things out. I have a daughter that's got Crohn's disease, and she goes through the deductible in January every year. Yep. And without the changes that Obamacare made, I wouldn't be able to keep her on the insurance. There'd be a lifetime limit that she would have exceeded, and she wouldn't have any kind of portability. 
right by the by the changes by the changes you mean because she could stay on your policy till she was twenty six. Right, right. That's one of the big ones, and, right. and that's a very popular one. Yep. Health. Right. And um, she's been able to go to college, and now she's looking at her master's, going to graduate this spring, and I'm hoping that she'll get a job, and I'm praying that it'll have some kind of benefits, but it should be able to continue that health care, but. Um, otherwise, she'd just be totally broke and, and in a hole so deep that she'd never get out of it. Now at least she has a, a chance of, of having a successful life as a contributing member of the, of the United States. And, and without, and to your point also, as we were talking about with one of the earlier callers, Kimberly, w- without the, the pre-existing coverage thing, um, and you were re- referencing it with portability, the, the ability to move stuff, in your particular case or your daughter's case, um, if she were to lose the insurance coverage through you, um, with pre-existing you know, condition exclusions, she'd probably be uninsurable moving forward, right? Right, right. Yeah. And then she'd, she'd just be broke, and she'd have to probably have a kid and go on welfare and do all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And, you know, um, I'm sure, I, I know her. I know she's like me. Both of us would much rather work and earn and, and do, you know, and get the, the fruits of our labor Right. And just sit there and, and and the nature of her disease is such, like you said, that she blows through her deductible in in one month, right? Right. Yeah. Right. No. I I think. I mean, believe me, I I can relate. Going through what I went through in the last year, it's kind of like, all right, that the, the deductible in her insurance policy. Um, if you have a catastrophic condition or you have a loved one that has a catastrophic condition, the first two weeks in January, you, you've met the deductible. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. This is one of the huge issues. This is the, now the real-world thing. The Republicans have the keys to the Capitol. Do they really want to repeal Obamacare? Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, coming up in less than 15 minutes. The state of Washington let this guy out. Now their daughter is dead. They are suing. Stick around. Right now, though, we're talking about whether or not people seriously, after all these years of discussion, want Congress to repeal the Affordable Care Act. That would be Obamacare. Peter in Milwaukee. Peter, good morning. Uh, Yes, good morning, Jeff. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. What do you think? Good. So um, just to give you my perspective, um, I've been in the health insurance or insurance industry for a couple of decades, and uh, specifically in an area that works as kind of a liaison from between the technical systems and the business operations right. of, of uh, the insurance industry. One thing, one dialogue that I never heard really truly touched on prior to the advent of Obamacare uh, that created a huge impact economically was how the changes um, created massive uh, impacts to the business side of the insurance industry and employment in general. Um, and like, to give me an example of what you're talking about. So, if you look at one of the one of the uh, uh, decent sized employers. Uh, that was in Milwaukee County. Uh, that was in one iteration or another, another around for around for over a century. Um, Assurance Health was right. lost or you know re- removed was removed from the health insurance industry due to the advent of, of Obamacare. There's no other way to 
um, you know, uh, put that. It was because right. of Absolutely. the changes that happened, remove that. That created, you know, a tremendous, you know, influx of individuals into the employment pools. Hey, you know, um, as an had, aside, you know, I used to, my first job, before, after I got out of college, before I went to law school, I worked at the old time insurance, which subsequently okay. became assurance, yeah. Sure, right, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I knew people, I, I hated to see what happened to assurance just because I, I just, I had such fond memories of that company. Yeah, it was a, it was a good company. They did good things. And, uh, and, and, and there were a number of companies uh, around, around the country uh, that were in the same, you know, boat because they weren't the huge insurers or they were niche insurers or something along those lines. And they were basically put down because of the change. And that created this, you know, this, this, this big influx of unemployment because, because of that happening. Uh, and additionally, um, there were so many changes that came in from a system and IT perspective, uh, information technology perspective, that... Um, and business perspectives, you know, it, 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 everything that was kind of rammed in to, to make the federal, you know, cutoffs um, was done as quickly as possible. And, I, you know, you kind of wonder if uh, the way that we worked, you know, we were smaller and much more agile and could work and could work things quickly, but these larger companies, you know, you kind of wonder what kind of quality of service was done for the period of time, you know, after that was, that was going to happen. But, so what do we do it, now, Peter? <laughs> You know, because so, I mean, we've, the first couple of calls I've been taking are people. My, you know, my my daughter wouldn't be able to get coverage otherwise. You know, I'm concerned yeah. about pre-existing coverage. What do we do moving forward? And so, so I would just recommend to take a tempered approach. This idea of cutting everything off right away, you know, within a very short period of time, will lead to the same kind of pains that were invisible to most to most of the public that happened when we changed over to Obamacare. I I can't see. Uh, there, there's going to be a downside from an economic standpoint to uh, continuing it without changes in the same manner that would have happened if we would have continued the, the past system, because there were definitely reforms that needed to take place. I don't right. think the reforms that happened were right, but um, there are pieces of it that are good. You know, right. there's, no doubt, there's no doubt of that. But you I know, think of course, the, the, other, the elephant in the room, too, and you, you probably know this from working in the industry, I mean, the elephant mm-hmm. in the room is is how do we control costs? I mean, because right. that's, that's the, you know, that, that's kind of the bottom line. You know, the, the, the premium costs, the health care costs going up. I, I think most of us, I mean, I would oppose nationalized health care or single payer or, you know, trying right. to turn, you know, essentially trying to say, okay, we're going to take, you know, your insurance, Jeff, and we're going to put it on like a Medicare type of thing. I don't think that works for the majority of people. But how do you control the spiraling costs? Right, and that's the thing. It's it's, and the the thing is too is that it's hard to uh, to just focus in on the um, on the administrators of the policies, which is what was done with Obamacare. There was such a vilification of the health insurance industry, and I'm coming from a perspective where I wasn't, you know, uh, an executive. I wasn't a person making a lot of money. I was basically really kind of a grunt. Okay, when it right. comes right down to it, right. So, you know, I, so I, I've got a fairly, you know, separate viewpoint as far as, you know, uh, the, the industry itself, you know, but there are so many other things that need to be controlled, just, just medical costs, pharmaceutical costs, you know, the, the, right. the, where the charges are coming from. And I think that there needs to be a hard look at that. You right. Know, exactly. Because there, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it, no, it's, it's a, it is a messed up system. And I do, I, I think, I see, I support what's going on. I, I support the idea of, all right, we're going to, we're going to roll back and we're going to get rid of a lot of these provisions. But the, the truth of the matter is, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. When it comes to issues like pre-existing coverage or things like that, you're going to – I don't think we can go back to a point in time where we're going to say, all right, you know, again, the situation where 
you've paid for insurance all your life, you've lost your job, um, the COBRA has run out, and now, you know, boom, you get diagnosed with cancer, you're, you're not covered. Now, in a number of states, there are high-risk pools. Wisconsin had a high-risk pool that was there for the people that couldn't get insurance otherwise through the market. I mean, maybe that's the type of thing you look at expanding. Steve and Racine. Steve, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. This, Hi, is a, this is a great question. We definitely need to repeal it, and we need to replace those pieces that, frankly, Republicans and me and a conservative myself, Republicans should have addressed years before. But if we trade across, allow trade across state lines, and if we um, put in a pre-existing condition, uh, legi- you know, piece mm-hmm. of legislation that says that they cannot do this, the, the, the nice parts, the couple of good things that came out of this, can be maintained, but it can be improved. Every single one of us, I know all of my friends and family, our insurance rates have skyrocketed through private insurance in the last few years. At what point, it feels like we're all going down a slide, we're halfway down and there's a better deal at the bottom, and this is the Affordable (laughs) Care Act, right? Right. So we need to decide, do we want the government to control um, our health care costs, or do we want private insurance to to cover it, or to to basically... um, have competition and we and we go that direction who will be the payer ultimately and if you look and again i'll make a comparison if you look at your 401k plan versus your social security number who's done a better job with less and in privately with competition there is a much much better job done than, than allowing the federal government to control your retirement it's the same in anything why should we believe that the federal government will do a great job as an insurance company well, they've never done it before. They've never proven that they can be effective at it. The spends are going to be outrageous. They're already getting outrageous. Uh, my brother cannot afford it. He's not. He has no health insurance now. He's paying the penalty. Right. Well, um, you and you look at everybody, who, for example, who throws up the Medicare example. Well, if it's good enough for people that are 65 or older, why isn't it good enough for everybody? Well, the problem is, you know, Medicare is is heavily subsidized, and you know those costs are skyrocketing as well. And how? Yeah. Thanks. No. It, it's. It is. Look. I, I agree with what you're talking about. There are elements of Obamacare that I think are extremely attractive, and we, you know, we've talked about them over the course of the last 40 minutes or so. You need to figure out a way to preserve some of those things. I, I also understand the devil is in the details, because the reality is one of the things, the individual mandate, making people sign up for insurance, is one of the things that like appalls most people. The idea, that, well, why, even though I think it's irresponsible to go without insurance, the idea that, well, I, you know, it's, I should be able to make the decision that I want to, I want to do that. And I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, if you only allow people to sign up for insurance when they really, really need it, when they're faced with that catastrophic thing, the system collapses. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. When we return, we're going to be talking about a lawsuit. The daughter is dead. The parents blame the state. Stick around. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have our winner of uh, today's, at least on my program, today's WTMJ Run the Table tailgate. Uh, by the way, we are, we're hoping to continue this promotion because the Run the Table tailgate giveaway is going to go away, go on. My understanding is as long as the Packers continue to run the table. So um, hopefully good news coming out of Dallas on Sunday afternoon, and hopefully we'll be able to do our 
you know, uh, join the Packers promotion. We'll be able to join our Run the Table tailgate. Hopefully it's going to be a good result in Dallas on Sunday afternoon. But we have our winner. It's Cindy from Greenfield. Cindy, enjoy the prize. You know, we were talking earlier in the program about the things that the Republicans are getting done in Congress. It's just Republicans get such done, get stuff done. Democrats rally. I just, I just had to laugh. Um, Donald Trump inauguration is a week from today we will be having uh coverage of that i'm not going to be here on friday next friday i'm uh, actually going to be chasing golf balls through the desert i I hope but uh now i'm not going to washington for the inauguration but we will be covering that um i'm like look at this report on saturday vochas de la frontera which is kind of the like um alien illegal aliens and immigrants rights group um they're going to be leading a march for immigration and refugee rights down to the Milwaukee County Courthouse all right all right at some point in time you just kind of want to say don't you get tired of having the, these rallies i mean sort of what what is the, the the point and the idea is you can have all the rallies you want but if you can't turn out voters to advance your policies what is the point all right here's the story and it's it's really it's a horrible story. There's a there's a couple who there's a couple. Their names are Craig and Jane Noel, and um, their mother was named Lindsay. She was 35 years old. And what happened is about a year ago, their daughter was killed in an automobile crash. Just, just kind of a horrible story. And, you know, she was the mom of two. So she had a 14-year-old and an 8-year-old. And now th- these kids are, are without their mom. And it's just, it's an awful type of story. What happened is this 35-year-old mom was a passenger in a car driven by somebody named Robert Jackson. Um, Robert Jackson, 39. And apparently the guy, Robert Jackson, was the the boyfriend of this 35-year-old. He was driving drunk at 80 miles an hour when he slams into an electrical utility box, causing the gal to be thrown from the car. Um, She ends up dying as a result of this. He's drunk. He ends up being convicted of vehicular homicide for killing the, the boy's mother. So it's a horrible story all around. She leaves two... Two kids, one fourteen, one eight. Um, but this is this is her boyfriend. So you might say, okay, well, what, where, what, what's going on with the lawsuit? The lawsuit that the grandparents bring is not against the defendant. It's not against the drunk driver because. Well, he probably doesn't have a pot to do no, no, what in. I mean, you know, you can you can sue anybody, but if you can't collect. Well, what, what are you going to gain? So here you have this guy who's going to be in jail for most of the rest of his life, who's driving drunk, who hits the box, who causes the woman to be ejected from the car and die. So, yeah, you can sue him, but if you can't collect, why bother? So instead, they are suing the state of Washington. Now, you might say to me, okay, Jeff, why are they suing the state of Washington? Well, here's, here's the deal. The state of Washington, for the last several years— has been involved in a semi-scandal where people who were inmates, people who were in the prison system, had been being released early because the folks inside the system who did the calculations of when somebody was eligible to be released, they were getting it screwed up. 
Now, in the case of the guy who was driving this car, this this Robert, whatever, he he was one of those those people. He had been mistakenly released from prison before he completed his prior sentence. So what the family says is, wait a second, he shouldn't have been out in the first place. If he hadn't have been out of prison, he would never have met our daughter. He would have never had the opportunity to strike up a relationship with our daughter. And my daughter, our daughter, would not have been in the car with him when he was drunk. Therefore, the argument is the state of Washington should be liable to us because they let this guy out too soon. All right, 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. What do you think about that? Now, there is this intellectual thing. They say, look, this was our, our daughter was dating this guy. This guy was a loser. He ends up getting drunk. He's involved in this crash. Our daughter dies. The man should never have been out of jail in the first place. If he hadn't been out of prison, our daughter wouldn't have met him. She wouldn't have been in the car when he was drunk. She wouldn't have been in that accident. It's the fault of the state of Washington for letting this guy out too soon. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. What do you think about that? 1055, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. We discuss next. 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. He says if he had to do it over again, he wouldn't. We'll talk about that in about 15 minutes. Uh, Dave in Appleton. Dave, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff, and welcome to the AM shift here. Thank you. I am enjoying it thoroughly. Okay, horrible story. Couple loses their daughter. She hooks up with this guy who should never have been out of prison. Is it the fault of the authorities that wrongly released him? No, not one red cent should she get. She made about seven different bad choices here. She knew he was a convict. She knew he was drunk when she got in the car with him. Yeah. And then the kids were in the car also. No, the kids weren't in the car. Kids, she was just the two of them, but yeah. Just the two of them, but yeah. You got in the car with the drunk convict that you've been dating and now if he'd hit me, I would have a case, I would think, because right. he shouldn't have been out. But, uh, right. yeah, you were you, you kind of went into this situation with a lot more knowledge than the general public and anybody else, and you rolled the dice and you lost. Yeah, see, th- you know, you make a really interesting point, Dave, and, and I, I see, I agree with you. If, if you come up with a different set of facts, and, and maybe I analyze this differently, let's say the state of Washington releases this guy too soon, he goes out on the street and he commits a crime, you know, he, he goes to some stranger and he commits this, this, this crime— but it's a stranger. Okay, maybe maybe you've got a, a, a sort of a dis- different situation here. Now, in this case, the guy did, in fact, commit a crime. It was vehicular homicide. But you have the lady who's, I mean, she's dating him. She's made the decision. She is in the car. It's not like there's a stranger here. Now, there's a lot of blame to go around, and it's unfortunate. But in this particular case, I just don't see that it's the problem of the taxpayers of the state of Washington. Now, having said that, if you've got bureaucrats that are letting dangerous people out on the street too soon, heads should roll. But while I feel sorry, really, really, really sorry for what's going on with this family and the fact that this woman's now dead and she's got two kids that the grandparents are going to have to figure out, you know, how to put them through college and things like that, that that is unfortunate. But I don't think it's the taxpayers of Washington State's problem. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.